Hello everyone, this is Irliana Samsara, back again with another edition of Star Sound Speaks, Star Sound Astrology. So, uh, today's episode I am sharing about the legacy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, our beloved Supreme Court Justice, who is, as we speak, still lying in repose in the U.S. Capitol Statuary Hall. And, um, of course, as we have heard the news yesterday... Um, that um, President Trump nominated Amy Coney Barrett to be her successor. So we're going to look today at the legacy of Ruth's legacy, talk a little bit, I'm going to talk a little bit about that and her chart, and and Amy, and Amy's chart, and the potentials that, that uh, lie here. So, uh, wow, it's, they're two, two big subjects, so I'm going to dive in. Um, I, I think it's interesting too that that um, when when Ruth passed, um, you know, we we're in this Mars Saturn square right now. Um, as a matter of fact, the next few days, it's until Thursday of this of next week, it's going to be um, of, of this week. <laughs> it's going to be exactly at twenty five degrees of um, Capricorn uh, Saturn, and Mars is at twenty five Aries. So that's an exact square. So we are really obviously look around, right? Look at the news, look at inside of your own self. We we feel this this conflict, this tension, the individual versus society, the individual versus the state uh, for doing what is right and how we can marshal our light to serve in the highest away from selfishness and into, you know, what's best for everybody. That's just one little, you know, uh, piece of that. But um, obviously, um, where our egos <laughs> and our will is being called into question. And so, um, so let me just talk about Ruth for, for a moment. You know, like everybody else, I was very, very sad when, when that news came and, uh, and, you know, and it's implications, obviously, I, you know, you don't need me to tell you that. Um, and I remember, you know, goodness, it, it really got, I always knew she was an outstanding, um, person in our history, um, but, um, but it really got clear, you know, it's not until somebody passes that it, it really fully comes into focus um, on another level, now that she's in the spirit world on the other side. Um, but, um, you know, when you just look at years ago, the people had, or if you look at tattoos, if you go to Google Images and look at RBG tattoos, people were they were like bikers that had, you know, her name and image and RBG tattooed on them, you know, so, and that was nothing new. I mean, this is going back years. She had this like cult following, um, obviously the film on the basis of sex starring Felicity Huffman that premiered a couple of years ago, um, you know, all about her struggles to establish, you know, women's rights and, um, documentaries made about her, you know, we go on and on and on. So clearly, um, a very, very uh, gigantic figure. Um, I find it interesting that um, when she passed, she was she passed on the eve of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. And they say whenever somebody leaves, uh, passes away on the Sabbath, um, it, a person is considered in Hebrew. The word is a sadik. I think I'm saying it correctly, a sadik, and that's a person of great righteousness. Well, she not only passed on the Sabbath. She passed on Rosh Hashanah. So that's like the Super Bowl of Sabbaths. You know, it's the new year. So um, I, I found that very auspicious. As uh, Nina Totenberg, the NPR reporter, said that a Jewish teaching says that those who die just before the Jewish New Year are the ones God has held back until the last moment because they were needed most and were the most righteous. I just thought that was so beautiful. Anyway, um, so yes, she was very much a great soul. And and then I started reading some more stories about her humility and um, her presence and things. And a couple of them really stood out. Um, one of them was um, the, there was a, the, the clerks, the Supreme Court clerks, which is the, you know, to clerk for the Supreme Court is in, in, in the law world. That's the highest, highest kind of position you can have is to, you know, be in service to the Supreme Court justices. And uh, many clerks shared their stories about working for her. 
and uh, very much compassionate about family. You know, she, Ruth had to hide her second pregnancy under baggy clothes when she was a law professor because they, she didn't want anyone to see she was pregnant because that would threaten her ability to work. So she was very, very um, committed to family and really being a role model for that as well. Um, one one clerk mentioned how in a daycare center, uh, he needed to find a daycare center for his daughter. And apparently, um, you know, she had remembered that. And, and one day he went looking at daycare centers and who shows up at the daycare center? But Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's like, oh, how are you doing with that? You know, like she really took a personal interest in the lives of the people that worked for her. So can you imagine showing up at a daycare center? Because, you know, you might need some support in, in picking something out. I mean, how selfless, how amazing is that? Um, another woman said that uh, she was pregnant, eight months pregnant when she was being interviewed by Ruth Bader Ginsburg for the job of Supreme Court clerk. And she she did get the job. Never once, there she is gigantic, you know, um, you know, very obvious in the room, right? And here's a little Ruthie, you know, five feet tall. Um, she never once did she bring up the pregnancy. You know, to clerk for the Supreme Court is obviously, you got to put your 110% into the job. And never once did that ever come up about her being pregnant and her ability to discharge her duties as a Supreme Court clerk. And she never forgot that. And she said that she was very, very attuned. And um, when Ruth would uh, would often come up to her, um, and she always made sure she would go home early, you know, at, or at a suitable time to care for her daughter, to get her to bed on time, you know. And if there was a time where she needed her to work a late night or something, she would give her plenty of advance notice. She was just modeling everything that she stood for in the legislative in her legislative legacy. And, you know, I didn't realize it until she passed on that I wouldn't have gotten my house if it weren't for all her work, because um, up until she came along, a woman couldn't get a mortgage. A woman couldn't get a credit card without a man signing. So that's pretty uh, amazing. Uh, and another thing I want to say, too, is um, I found it interesting that here's Amy Coney Barrett, who's 48 years old, she was born in 1972 when Ruth was really coming into her own as this towering figure, you know, for worker rights, women's rights. And that's when Amy was born. So she hears this next generation um, moving forward, you know. And so there is this big, there's, there are very big shoes to fill. You know, we, we have to be ourselves. We have to be our own great person. We can't fill shoes and be somebody else for somebody else. We have to be ourselves, but let's all, I think we're all in agreement that a person like Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, is, is singular and can never be replaced. But the legacy, you know, her, our desire is that she carry on this legacy of, of greatness and of doing the right thing. And so anyway, um, I'm all about that. In, in many ways, it's, it's, you know, we can see how Amy is, in a way, it seems to be like the antithesis of that. She's very, very Catholic, and she has very strongly aligned with these extreme right-wing Catholic, um, you know, dialogues, like P this group called People of Praise, which is kind of like Opus Dei, and um, a very, very rigid, conservative, traditionalist view of Catholicism, as if it weren't already. Um, so having been Catholic, I can say that. Um, so yeah, it's it just, it's an interesting kind of almost, you know, there's, there's this cosmic, uh, you know, uh, playfulness here. Not, not, doesn't seem like play at this time, but there is this cosmic, um, you know, situation where you have Ruth on one side and then the successor is this person that was born during that time, women's liberation, the women's movement, the National Organization for Women and all of that. And yet, you know, is this the antithesis? So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I have a lot to say later in the episode about what, um, you know, on an evolutionary scale, on a karmic scale, what Amy's chart is showing us and what work there is for her to do to evolve as a soul, which obviously is going to affect all of us should she be nominated, which is pretty much a sure thing that she will be accepted and confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. 
A um, couple of more things before we move on to Amy. Um, in in terms of uh, Ruth's legacy, um, I, I think you might have heard that the little statue on Wall Street, the fearless girl, is a little bronze statue of a little girl who's maybe eight or nine years old with her hands on her hips, with her feet splayed um, in front of the Wall Street bull. So fearless girl, somebody put a lace collar on her. I thought that was so cool. Um, there was a little girl in Maryland who, she's now 12, and when she was eight, she she read about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she had a t-shirt made up, and it, and it was a like a cartoon image of Ruth, and above it said, my Patronus is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So if you're a Harry Potter fan, you know what that is. If you're not, a Patronus is a like a spirit guide, you could say, a sp- like a like Native Americans have like animal totems, medicine medicine totems. Well, that's kind of like what a Patronus is. So I, it was really interesting. Somebody got that p- picture of it went viral, and somebody showed it to Ginsburg, and she wrote back through an assistant, "Hey, Michelle, you know you look so you really look like me. Wow, you know may you always." you know, continue with your studies. And it was this lovely little note, you know, I just thought it was pretty cool. And um, in terms of the, um, her funeral and all, um, I I really, I I looked again, and I I get choked up when I see that picture of all the clerks standing on the, when her her body was brought into the rotunda. And uh, all the clerks stood on the steps wearing black, all, of course, socially distanced, apart, but the fact that they all stood there and honoring her arrival um, in the body into the Capitol, um, I just just get so choked up when I see that picture um, of the clerks. You know, she stood for them, and she stood for us for so many years, and now, you know, we're standing for her. Oh, anyway, um, okay, don't cry, don't cry, you're on a podcast. Oh, all right. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's her legacy, you know, uh, and what she's, what she's leaving for us. I found it really, uh, fascinating that, um, in her chart, let's just talk briefly about her chart. So Ruth has a kite in her chart. So a kite is a, is a rare placement and it shows kind of like a mission in life and, um, it's shaped like a kite, right? So you have the point at the top, then you have the long, you know, the 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 point to the bottom, and the the apex of the kite, the the tip of the kite. You know, you look at what sign that's in, what planet is there, or planet or planets, and you also look at the you know in the house. Now I don't have, I wasn't able to find a birth time for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and even on an astro.com, which is you know the Swiss, right? They they they've got it all down in terms of detail, and they don't have a um, a birth time, so. Uh, all I can, I can't do house placements here, but I can at least do signs and, and such. Um, the apex of that kite is uh, Jupiter. Well, hello, uh, laws. It rules laws and the courts and all in the sign of Virgo and uh, Jupiter and and Neptune, Neptune and Mars. Jupiter, Neptune and Mars are all in Virgo and Neptune and Mars are conjunct side by side in early degrees, Jupiter's a little, it's in a wide conjunction, 17 degrees, but they're still, you know, they're all in the sign of Virgo. So what that is showing was how much she fought for the rights of the oppressed, for workers, for those who are downtrodden, um, you know, uh, uh, for the rights and education and, um, and being kind and merciful and, um, you know, looking out for, for those who are oppressed. The the back of the kite, think of it as like the engine that's driving the kite forward, is uh, Venus in Pisces. Well, Venus is exalted in Pisces. Okay, no wonder she loved opera. You know, she, she'd go to the opera with Antonin Scalia. Um, that was her, like her favorite thing. Well, there you go. Neptune rules music. Venus, Neptune, Venus, the arts, Neptune, music. There you go. But what I want to say in, in a legal manner she had a really a great talent and a great ability to be humble, super humble. One of the stories that was told was uh, there was a man who was, um, when he was sworn in as a clerk, there's a swearing in ceremony and all the clerks are there, you know, and all the, and the justices come out and they, 
they swear them in and then they leave, right? And then there's there's this adjoining room where there's kind of like a little, you know, where the where the clerks can go with their families. They bring their families in tow, you know, for the swearing in. And there's this little kind of reception for them. And it's just all the clerks in that room, you know, mingling. Well, um, all of a sudden there was a hush. They had adjoined to that little reception room and there was a hush in the room. And everybody looked up and she walked in. She was alone. There were no other justices that came, but she came in to personally congratulate the clerks. She was the only one. Everybody else left. So there she was, and everybody just fell silent. You know, this is little teeny, tiny, five-foot, you know, here she comes. The little Jewish mother, quiet, humble, comes walking in. And I think people were probably stunned, like, oh, my God. Like, we, you know, we weren't expecting this. We were just going to have a, you know, a little glass of juice and some cake or something. And she said, who wants a picture? Well, because they were everybody was posing for pictures, you know, with their families. So every of course they're all like, you know, let me excuse me while I pick up my eyeballs off the floor. Um, so they would gather around, and 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 she, you know, stood in their pictures with anyone who wanted a picture, and people were probably, you know, her auric field, you know, so they're like. <laughs> Oh my God, you know, but she's, come on, get a little closer. Come on, you know, move closer. Come on, come on. You know how you have to do that in those wedding photos, you know, every go, squish over. No, I can't see you, right? So, no, come on, come on, get closer. I just love that. Oh my God, but what a great soul. Well, there's Venus in Pisces. She loves to to mingle and um, and certainly in a humble manner. So it, it was just, just just so beautiful. But anyway, that humility and that um, the abilities to stand for those who are oppressed is, is very much in there. And her son, she was a Pisces. Her son is 24 degrees of Pisces. So, uh, you know, there you go. <clears throat> anyway, um, yeah, so you can see the, uh, and the evolution, she, the, the other angle, the, the points of the kite, you know, the left and the right side of the kite, so to speak, those points in her chart of the moon in, in Scorpio and Pluto. So uh, Pluto in Cancer. So again, you know, the women's liberation, very clearly, you know, uh, and that's in mutual, they are in mutual reception is what they call mutual reception, which has, their energies are blended and strengthened even more so, again, regarding the rights of those who are oppressed, certainly women, the moon in Scorpio, right? Women's power. And, um, and also Pluto and Cancer. So in, as a result of all these works, the, and, and, um, you know, laws passed to support women and, and the oppressed, you have, uh, Pluto and Cancer, right? It's reinventing and reinvigorating our home lives, our very country, you know, we're a cancer country. So this completely changed and regenerated and, and it was, you know, birthed into a new frequency of, of um of a, of power you could say, so anyway, that's about as much as I probably want to say about that because we want to talk about Amy now, but um certainly uh, yeah a great great soul here, very much uh, will be missed and is being missed and um, I think what, the only thing that really keeps me going is um, I often think when somebody passes away you know. Once they're free of the body, they can do so much more. She did every, she did outrageous things being here in the third dimensional plane, but now that she's on the other side, um, she's she can really work more effectively. And so I don't feel she's, yeah, I feel choked up. <laughs> Hi, Ruthie. <laughs> you want to be on the podcast? You'll be my first guest <laughs> from another dimension. <laughs> uh, she's probably laughing at me. That's okay. Um so yeah, the you know she's able to work more, and I know she'll really, um, you know, I just feel a little emotional here. <laughs> Bear with me. Um, really shed her, put her light, you know, over everyone in the court, and she didn't. She was so that was so cool. The friendship she had this incredible friendship with Antonine Scalia. It was total conservative, right? They like they two people could not be more different ideologically. And yet they were able to put that that aside, and they would very much dissent in writing opinions. But 
um, they put all that aside and they were able to have a great friendship. So that's a legacy that every Supreme Court justice and all, all of us, what a role model, right? To be able to embrace and reach across the table. <clears throat> so uh, not an easy feat, as we know. But she did it, and she did it so well, and she modeled it for others, and, and that's why she's a sadic. She's a great soul. So anyway, um, yeah, moving on to Amy. Interestingly enough, um, Amy's chart. Let us pull up Amy's chart. Okay. <clears throat> Believe it or not, guess who else has a kite? Amy Coney Barrett. Different planets, uh, but... Very, uh, very interesting. And uh, the thing I'm struck with um, now, I don't, I, again, I, we don't have a birth time for Amy Coney, Coney Barrett. Uh, so I can't do houses, but I can at least do the configurations of the planets. She's got a very, you can see how she got to the top. It's, it's, it's very clear. Um, it's very clear her religious um, devotion. You know, um, we have a uh, Neptune is at the top, at the apex, where Ruth had, uh, I want to call her Ruthie. <laughs> Ruthie had um, Jupiter, which rules the courts, Jupiter and Neptune in Virgo at that, uh, you know, worker rights for sure, the workplace, the daily life, you know, all of that reinventing daily life and taking care of the oppressed. She had that at the top of her chart, Jupiter and Neptune. And um, Amy has Neptune. So she still has Neptune up there. It's in Sagittarius. But again, that's a the strong indicator of, of um, you know, a, a real devotion to judicial life and, um, and, and doing the right thing and laws and morality and, you know, all of that. Now, um, in Amy's chart, she has the, uh, so that there's the, 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 um, the point, right, is, is Neptune and, and Sag. Now, the shadow side of Neptune and Sag would be religious zealotry, fundamentalism you know, extreme right-wing uh, ideology, you know, the, any kind of religion, Christian, Muslim, whatever, any, any fundamentalist uh, religion uh, would, you know, that would be the, the shadow part, like this zealots, zealous kind of, you know, uh, pushing something down somebody's throat or being, feeling righteous, you know, and moral and like holier than thou, that, that's the shadow side of Neptune. And uh, certainly Neptune and Sag. But there's a high road. And that's what I really want to talk to you guys about today. You guys and girls. Cowgirls, cowboys, mermen, and intergalactic beings. Anybody who's listening to this podcast, okay? We, we have to, we're, we're at a very, very critical juncture in our, in our um, life here on planet Earth in the United States. I think everybody knows that. Um, certainly when... Um, when she was nominated at five o'clock last night, I was like, I could feel this, this thing. I pulled her chart up, you know, in the, as, as this was all happening. And I feel this kind of heaviness, but we have to keep on keeping on and we have to be proactive. It's the only way we're going to evolve. All right. It's no accident. Mars squaring Saturn. This is an opportunity for us to put aside our anger and our egos and our reactiveness and we have to take that energy and channel it. Remember how I talked about that on previous podcasts? Channel that Mars, Mars is retrograde. We're looking at how can we channel our passion and our life force. Are we going to be destructive or are we going to be constructive? Because it's energy's energy. So you got you to gotta make it work. And with the square to Saturn, it's like what is going to be in the best interest of our society? So when we see this, we, we, you know, we, we can't, we, we have these reactions and then we have to say, okay, that's it. You know, uh, as, as is in the matrix, get up, Trinity, get up. You know, it's like, don't, don't get knocked down by this stuff. We've got to stand strong. And um, in the case of Amy Coney Barrett here with her, the Catholic ideology was very much front and center when Dianne Feinstein was um, grilling her when, to be, when she was being named to the appellate circuit federal judge in the appellate courts. And she said, and Barbara uh, Feinstein, um, sorry, Diane Feinstein took, um, took the heat for saying this. 
She said something like, your dogma is all over the, is, it, it, you, you exude dogma or something like that from every, you know, so it's, it's very obvious. Well, when you have Neptune and Sag at the, at the point of your kite, yeah, I, I get it, you know, but there's a potential here that is uh, bigger than that way bigger. So, um, and this is what I, I feel like it's time for us to just, um, you're either going to wallow in misery about this, or you're going to stand up and do something. And the best thing we can do is hold her to that highest standard. So what's the potential? What's the high road for Neptune and Sag? This is my interpretation. The high road would be being merciful and kind using social using the courts and the law to enact laws that are compassionate that will assist the downtrodden that is the point of her kite that's like the higher evolutionary purpose for her life that's where the kite is flying right the point of the kite is flying in that direction what are the wingmen so to speak you know that the sides of the kite it's the sun the sun conjunct her north node. Her evolutionary purpose is to think on behalf of humanity. And on the other side of that kite is Pluto at one degree of Libra. So that is learning to be balanced in relationships and one-to-one um, uh, get listening, giving and taking and listening and not dominating or being dominated by it's interesting because one of the things I also read about her was she was in, in this group that she and her family belonged to is called People of Praise that they uh, and people got really kind of freaked out about this. But apparently they refer to men and women as uh, the men are referred to as as um, heads. I think it's a heads and the women are referred to as handmaids. And it was erroneously reported that that's where the idea for The Handmaid's Tale, the Margaret Atwood novel, came from, but but it's not. So if you hear or read that, you know, we want to keep correcting that record. But it is interesting it, how that bears out in her chart with Pluto and Libra. It's about, you know, the part of her evolution is not seeing, not putting a man on a pedestal and making a god out of him or not having somebody make a god out of her. Right, so it's about equality in relationships and one one not dominating the other, so that that whole power play in relationships comes out. Uh, so yeah, so that's the side of the kite. But here's the deal. This is the this is an interesting part. the The engine, right, that's driving that kind of like in a car where you have rear wheel drive, you know, where the the oomph is coming from the the back wheels, not the front. The the rear wheel drive of a kite. Let's look at that Saturn. Uh, let's look at that uh, planet Saturn in the sign of Taurus. That is the engine that's pushing everything forward. So the story there, Saturn is retrograde. Karmic lesson here: twenty-nine degrees. There's a very loud karmic lesson. It's not just Saturn. It's not just Saturn retrograde. It's not just Saturn retrograde at an anoretic or a karmic degree. And it's also, as if that weren't enough, like blinking, blinking, blinking. Um, it is, Saturn is conjunct a fixed star. Actually, it's two fixed stars. Very, very interesting. The first one is the fixed star. Um, the, well, it's actually exactly conjunct the Pleiades. The Seven Sisters, that's a cluster of stars at 29 degrees Taurus. Well, it was at 29 degrees Taurus when she was born in 2000. It actually shifted into 30, de- I mean, zero, sorry, zero degrees Gemini. But anyway, when she was born, 29 Taurus. And that is considered, it's interesting. You know, I, I tend to look at these things, but I want to say with a grain of salt, but it has, if you look at traditional astro, you know, traditional sources of astrology, they would say that that's an unfortunate star. Now, I think, wow, how could the Pleiades be unfortunate? The Seven Sisters, like, dude, really, you know. But you have to remember, a lot of these things that were written in in antiquity 
there was, you know, different conversations, different perceptions about women and, um, and sexuality and demonizing it. So we have to, you know, look at things in context. But I will say this, that definitely has a nod to um, LGBT issues uh, and feminine power. So right there, you know, if you want to know why things sometimes have a negative connotation, you know, again, we, we have to look at these things in a, in a larger framework. So the, um, yeah, it conjunct the Pleiades. So that might be that, and, and that is a very powerful, that's one of the, in, in astrology, they call that a, a Bahanian star, Bahanian anyway, tomato, tomato. Um, and they're, uh, it's one of 15 stars that are very powerful for their ability to work magic. And it was a, considered a source of astrological power for, uh, for planets. So, um, you know, I am not an, a total expert in any means on fixed stars. So um, I just, you know, want to put that out there. But I found it interesting when I did the research that this one in particular, having a connection with LGBT um, rights and LG, well, we'll just say the LGBT, you know, um, the archetype of LGBT. Saturn at 29 Taurus there, maybe, and in a retrograde for her, she might have, this is a karmic lesson, right? Because Saturn is where we have Saturn in our chart is where we have karma, where we have to make corrections, especially Saturn retrograde. That's a correction on the inner. And um, it may be, and who knows, she may have given her power away. You know, Saturn can be about our power, right? Our responsibility. And she might not ha had, a, an, you know, maybe in a former life she had, she had um, repressed that part of herself. Maybe she was LGBT or she ruled, you know, Saturn can be the law, you know, so maybe she ruled against people or, you know, persecuted them. Um, certainly we are very, you know, there's a huge concern, obviously, in the LGBT community about her because they feel that she's going to roll back a lot of the rights that they have fought for so hard for so long. And of course, with gay marriage being legalized and all, who knows, you know, what kind of rights um, are going to be um, held up. It, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't look too good in that, in that regard, you know, in, in that way. But if you think about the fact that she had that as a, perhaps as a past life lesson, there's a lesson for her right there with the, with Saturn conjunct you know, for, um, you know, there's some kind of karmic correction around Venus, you know, is the rules Taurus. So Venus is the, uh, is ruling her Saturn. So it has to do with women and about values and value systems and the things that are important to us. So you can see all that having come into play, given that she's such a right wing Catholic person that had, and that the, her, her personal ideologies have so influenced her and of course, you know, the work that she has been doing. Um, so, um, you know, obviously a source of concern, but the opportunity you see, the opportunity is there for her to make a, a karmic correction in her life around these subjects around things that are unfortunate, around, um, you know, if you read some of the things here, it's, it's associated with accidents, uh, blindness, violence, um, you know, feminine power. Uh, you know, the, the, um, the singer Rufus Wainwright, he has Alcyon, I think, I want to say it's conjunct his son, um, if I'm not mistaken, or no, his ascendant. And he's a, he's a very, um, he's very in touch with his, um, you know, his sexuality and he's, he's very Venusian in his ways. You know, he has that kind of, um, you know, that sweetness around him and, and, you know, I don't, I don't say this in any judgmental way, but more of an effeminate expression of his masculinity. So that's a, that's a beautiful example of, of that Pleiades, the rising Pleiades, you know, Alcyon, the rising Pleiades, um, are, um, you know, very strongly favoring um, LGBT expression. So when Saturn in retrograde at, at, the, at the anoretic degree of that, uh, sitting on that Alcyon, wow, you know, there, there's definitely a karmic correction that, that uh, is very important for her to make in this lifetime. The other fixed star that, that it is, um, that uh, her Saturn is lined up with is a, a um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, 
the Gorgon's head. Ah, Caput Algol. So that's 26 degrees. That's only three degrees from her Saturn. Sometimes, most of the time, you'll read that one to two degrees is pretty, is about as far as a fixed star will go. Um, but it, it's influence, you know, you could say, even if you, if you do adhere to that, you know, the influence is still very strong there. And that is, um, that's a, that's a tough planet, you know, and I, I mean, sorry, planet, a fixed star that's considered like the most unfortunate, uh, star, I think of all. And, um, that is again, you know, with violence and, um, mass catastrophe, uh, I'm going to say some heavy things here, but just hang on because there's a, I'm going to get to the good part. Okay. Just, just hold on. Okay. Just keep breathing. Um, the, um, Capodalgal is sometimes called the evil one or the demon star. Um, it can be very passionate. It's intense. Um, it's an eclipsing double star. So it pulsates and eclipses, and it, and it, it eclipses. It, it, it can it goes in and out in terms of its visibility in the heavens, um, and so uh, when it and it depends. Again, I'm not a fixed star expert, but I think it's when it when it's showing. It, there were whole like um, military armies that would in antiquity that would follow the appearance disappearance, and they would plan their battles accordingly for when the star was blinking. You know, in in what in what manner. So. Um, but it is a pulsating um, star, um, and a double star. And so anyway, um, it dev- definitely has some heavy connotations. Um, it's considered very unfortunate, but there are, and of course, you know, there are people in history that had, uh, you know, the, um, where, who were very, you know, nasty people that it had on, depending on what part of their, um, what planet it sat on. Um, or bad things happen to them. So, um, for example, Joan of Arc has um, had also had um, Saturn um, Al- Algol on her Saturn. She was a martyr, right? So here's here's this religious woman, you know, with her crusading, you know, people of praise connection that the the cult, the very right wing Catholic group. You can see the the resonance here. Um, but um, Richard Nixon also had sat <laughs> a Republican. Uh, so, sorry, Amy. Um, so Richard Nixon has uh, had uh, Saturn on his algal. So you know we all know what happened to Tricky Dick. And so um, yes, very unfortunate things. However, the, here here's the other part of it. Okay. Uh, there is um, here's here's a nice example of someone who had Venus has Venus, uh, who is uh, on uh, Algol conjunct Venus, Prince William, Prince William of England. And what does that indicate? Well, it's not that he's nasty, but he's certainly around a lot of nasty, as, uh, you know, when you think about all the headlines of what his, you know, family enduring with the whole Epstein and Prince Andrew and, you know, his whole family connections and, uh, but not him, but he's around it. So that brings me to this, um, other side of Algol. So, you know, uh, w- serial murderers, yes, you know, Algol, very heavily, uh, you know, f- Field Marshal Rommel, Hitler's, you know, Field Marshal, you know, he had it conjunct the North Node. I mean, you know, we, we can go on and on and on of how these, you know, really sick, evil people have a connection with Algol. But others had a connection too, and uh, that were very high, like Ramakrishna who was a saint in India in the 19th century, early, in 20, early 20th, I think, into early 20th. Um, he, he has um, Algol conjunct the North Node. Uh, there were, uh, the artist Winslow Homer, a beautiful artist, uh, composers, authors, you know, uh, harpsichordists. Um, Albert Einstein had a conjunct Pluto. So again, um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, we're always as astrologers, we hear this from clients, is this bad or is this good? It's like, you, you got to get it out of that matrix, okay? It's not good or bad, although it's intense, you know, to say you have Algol conjunct the, a, a planet, but you have to look at the other side. It doesn't mean that you're a serial murderer or you're the victim of horror and, and such, but, but you will be aware of the deaths of suffering, like Prince William, I don't know if you ever heard, when he was younger, before he got married, he, he wanted to very much wonderfully, um, 
inspired by his mother, you know, she taught him well, he wanted to know what it was like to be a homeless person. So he dressed up as a homeless person and went incognito and slept on the streets of London overnight on the sidewalk, just so he could have that empathy and that compassion and understanding. So there's a perfect example. So he's he was aware of suffering that can occur through you know, difficult situations and uh, people being, you know, the marginalized communities. So, um, uh, so, you know, here's this opportunity for Amy to be aware of the sufferings that can happen and that she won't be able to ignore it or brush it aside, that her life path demands that she um, deals with this level of experience of seeing and really intent, you know, as a judge and an appellate, I mean, I'm sure she, you know, she's had to preside over some, you know, pretty serious cases, you know, capital murder and, you know, all that stuff. But, um, you know, she, as a, as a lawmaker, as a judge, she would be preside to call, to, to, to preside over cases that were very intense and um, and so involving, you know, these great, you know, unfortunate acts of depravity or violence, um, she, maybe, um, you know, again, you know, violence against the LGBT community, the trans community, you know, they have like the highest suicide rate and the highest homicide rates. So, you know, again, the ability to preside and learn life lessons from the past to make these karmic corrections, to, to serve for the good of all. And that's where that apex, that going back to the point of her kite, right? So if that's the engine that's running her, it's like, let's make these corrections around uh, people who are marginalized. Or, and, and when we are, if we are in this state of, um, of this unfortunate, you know, uh, uh, seeing these very... Um, difficult situations in life, extreme, extreme difficulty, you know, like war zone kind of difficulty, to be able to preside with compassion, right? The apex of that kite being Neptune, having compassion and using justice to assist the people who are in the most difficult situations. And certainly, like I said, with, with it conjunct the Pleiades, yeah, helping the LGBT movement. So, um, some, you know, when we are working through our karma, we, of course, um, you know, do it, I want to say do it wrong, you know, like connect with the, the we, we, we have the shadow that we have to overcome. So, of course, we're going to experience that. But then the, the choice is there. The opportunity always comes more than once to to have that correction, especially when you're 27 to 29 um, 57 to 59, 86 to 89, you have your Saturn return, first time, second time, third time, to make those karmic corrections. But there are, of course, many, many other times in life. It doesn't, yes, Saturn is, is a major transit, but there are other things at play that will, of course, um, give us many opportunities through life to make our corrections. One thing I will say, too, that comes to mind, she's 48 years old, so she's in the middle of her Chiron return, she has everyone in the, in her age group. You guys got Chiron in Aries. And uh, when, when she was born, what was going on? The women's movement, the need for identity. Um, there was a lot of harshness where people had to like suck it up and move on. You know, it was not an easy time for children. Um, with with everything going on in the world, there was a lot of. Um, I remember as a as a kid watching, you know, these uh, the women's lib, the people in the streets marching. Women were very very angry, right? Aries, right? Chiron and Aries are healing this wound about identity. You know, like they were burning their bras in the street and marching, and um, they were angry. You know, rightfully so. I right? couldn't even get a credit card, couldn't get a mortgage. You know, you had to have a man do it for you. So there was that whole thing about being independent with the Aries archetype. So all of that coming to the fore now, 47 to 49, 50 years later, we, you know, Chiron comes around again. So here she is at the age of 48, and she's, little gal is smack dab in the middle of that Chiron return. Uh, she's got Chiron at 10 degrees of Aries. So that um, Chiron retrograded at the end of July, I think it was July I think it was the end of July. Yeah, at nine degrees. So right within a degree of her Chiron. So she's she's in the thick of this. She's sorting through this. 
and it will pass next year and into 2022. She will have, she's in her Chiron return. Now, is that part of her kite? No, but it certainly does uh, make some very powerful impacts. Um, of course, it's conjunct Eris, you know, so we're very much the fighting that by one degree, you know, fighting for one's identity and survival. So there's a wounding there that is getting healed. And I would imagine that when the confirmation hearings start, <laughs> she's definitely, you know, how that's always a grilling process. And uh, I could imagine just as it was for Kavanaugh, you know, there was, uh, it's it's definitely an initiation unto itself. So being that she's in her Chiron return, all these, um, all these things will be coming into play, certainly in a very public arena, as, as we will soon see. Uh, let's see, there was something else I wanted to say about her. Really, um, really profound. Uh, let's see, hold on a second. Oh, yes, I know, the North Node. Okay, so this is one of, as we wrap this up, the North Node, um, her evolutionary purpose, the direction in which she is to move in this life, she has the Sun and her North Node conjunct, side by side. North, she's an Aquarian, her Sun's in Aquarius, seven degrees, her North Node is five degrees. So her Sun and her North Node, this is a huge light shining on her path to say, look, how you evolve, benefit of humanity, be a team player, um, open up your thinking, um, move towards the good of all, not the, the, the south node would be in, in Leo. So the emphasis is not on me, me, me and my life and, and such, but it's on, you know, how can we, how can we assist humanity? How can we um, move forward collectively? How can we, how can I be a part of a bigger, of, of, a, of a society that is uh, diverse, that allows all expressions, right? We were talking about LGBT earlier. For example, right, women, um, LGBT, um, marginalized people who have historically been marginalized, black and indigenous people of color, BIPOC, all of that. That's really huge. That's on the table for her. So, um, you know, as, as I'm saying this, I'm talking to you, looking at her chart, and I'm like, oh my God, I just noticed this now. She has two kites in her chart. Ruthie only had one, and look what she did. So this woman has a huge. Um, so one, one. I, I've never in my life seen two kites. I'm, I'm like, am I doing a double take? No, honestly, no. There it is. Okay. So the second kite is um, is to the sun in the north node. Yeah. So it's like saying yes. You must. The first kite being yes. You must use your knowledge of law to you know using compassion and um, empathy and compassion to do the right thing. And on the, uh, and the other kite is saying, uh, you know, take care of society, be, uh, you know, allow diversity. And that, that's your, your life force. You should take all of that wonderful creative will and light and courage and bravery, which would be the, the South Node and Leo, and use it to, not to advance your own personal agenda, but use it to advance society, to make a better world, a more humane world. Wow. And uh, in order to do that, she's using, um, it's interesting because it's, it's that Neptune and Sag in that corner, that kite has Neptune. The, the, the apex of one kite is, is actually the shoulder of the other kite. So that's, that's pretty crazy. Uh, pretty amazing. Uh, so boy, you talk about destiny. She, she's got a lot on her plate here. And I think, um, and then the other side of it, by the way, it's just the other side of that, uh, the sun kite is uh is her air here's her Chiron return so wow you know she's definitely getting it from all angles and uh you know um the south node in Sag is not there right now it's not going to be on her Neptune for like a year and a half or so but but right now she's in that Chiron return so that's that's working its magic and um you know, to how do I be myself that I'm, I'm not going to get lost in a crowd, but I'm, I am myself, my own unique self, and I'm courageous and all, but, but in service to this, to humanity. So, yeah, we have to put aside our, our you know, our past life, um, 
you know, whatever, where, where she had given her power away and where she had uh, karmic lessons, she has to uh, put all of that aside about um, where, where being a woman might have been restricted. She might have experienced lifetimes like that where she was restricted as a woman. Interesting, right? And then what do you do? You project that on others, right? No, not, not quite. The universe has other plans for her. But the best thing we can do in, in to help her evolve is to just send light and hold her in this light. Hold. I don't mean that in a mamby-pamby, new-agey kind of frou-frou-la-la way. I mean, really, like seriously, like really stand for everyone, stand for everyone's greatness. But this woman, because of the pivotal role she's playing right now in the history of our Supreme Court and her American uh, you know, life, uh, democracy, she has a huge uh, role to play here. And with that sun and north node in Aquarius, Aquarius rules democracy. And it's, and when it's, you know, it, it has two rulers, Uranus and Saturn. Traditionally, Aquarius was ruled by Saturn. So that's, conser- you know, you can see where the conservative values come in. But the other, but, you know, in modern astrology, you, you have it co-rulership with Uranus. So that's progressive and democratic. Ha ha, sorry, but, you know, little cosmic joke. Um, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. But to be, um, to at least allow other opinions and to reach across the table, just like her predecessor did when, when Ruth became dear friends with Antonine Scalia. They'd go to the opera together. Right, they 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 wildly and vehemently opposed each other ideologically, but they found a friendship despite their differences, and that is a legacy that all of us can step into. And it's certainly time for her. Hopefully, she will embrace that as well, um, and and be you know in that in that vein in that vein of things because I because that's her soul's evolution depends on her being um, allowing the diversity of thought and expression in in our country and for her life so there's a lot writing here there really is i'm sure more will come to me as it always does after i hang up this podcast uh but um anyway yeah that that's just some thoughts some thoughts about her um anything else i want to say oh is it, i just thought it was interesting speaking one more time of lgbt she's from south bend indiana Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg, oh my God, the, the first openly gay candidate for the presidency of the United States. I mean, is, is that not a cosmic little chuckle? You know, he's like, hey, he's the mayor. It's like, okay, he can be your guide. Let Pete be your guide, Amy. Come on, you know, you get, you got some good help right in your neighborhood, right there. Talk to Pete and his husband, Chaston. Talk to them. Take them out to dinner. Go to the opera. I don't know. Whatever. Just, you know, make something happen. Oh, when with that, I leave you for this particular moment in time. Um, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Um, stay strong. Remember, use that tension, that dynamic tension with Mars and Saturn. Uh, make that tension. Do something magnificent with it. Turn something around. Move forward in a powerful way that, that uh, creates space for others. Um, so with that, I bid you adieu. This is Irliana Samsara, Star Sound Astrology, Star Sound Speaks, and we'll see you next time. Be blessed. Namaste.